Good morning, I'm Jamie Thomas, and I'm reading the scripture this morning. But there will be no gloom for who, for who, who, let's start over. First of all, it's Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and recognize that you are the only one that can bring true peace. That in ourselves we are wrestling, we are anxious, that our world is without peace, but you have sent your son Jesus to not, as we already heard in our event reading, not just to bring peace, but to be our peace, that he is our peace. So today, as we meditate on what all that means in our lives, I pray that you would open our hearts to be good soil, to receive your word, um, that it may change us for those in here who haven't put their faith in Christ to receive that true peace, that today might be that day. For those of us in this room that are walking with Christ, that we would walk out of here more rooted and confident in the peace that you have given us and a peace that you want to abound in our lives because of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kyle Bryant, and I really am Kyle Bryant. I promise that. Um, I had a little bit more of a beard up until uh, a few days ago, um, but really glad to be with you all today and to have uh, Pastor KJ give me this chance to share God's word. Um, but I did lose my beard a couple of days ago, not because I just wanted to shave it, but actually at the BCM down the street at UA, we do a thing every fall called the beard auction, where we have about five or six guys, usually I'm one of them, that auction off our beards for money to go to missions, to send students on summer mission trips. And so uh, they'll bid on our beard, and however, whoever has the most money or uh, wins the beard gets to shave it however they want to. And so I look like I got in a fight with my razor for a couple of days, really just for uh, the next day. Um, but for about 300 bucks, I figured it was worth it for missions. And so we raised about $1,000 to go to mission trips in about 45 minutes. So that seemed like a pretty uh, worthy cause. And give it a month or so, it'll, it'll be back. I'm working on it, okay? So, um, but, but speaking of mission trips, I do want to share a story as we get started today from one of my mission experiences. Uh, years ago, uh, I got to serve as a semester missionary in the country of Uganda uh, in East Africa. And while I was there, I had the chance to go to a, the northeast region of the country called Karamoja. And while I was there, I began to learn more about the, that area. And in Karamoja, the people there have been in conflict for really hundreds of years. And not just, you know, some social conflict, like violent war conflict. 
And really, the Ugandan government tried to get involved. It got so bad because so many thousands of people were being killed. But that wasn't enough. They tried to get the army involved. That wasn't enough. They tried to get the United Nations to come in and solve this. And it still wasn't enough. But then a lady by the name of Valerie Sheen, a veterinarian, who was the person I met and heard this story from, uh, she came in as a veterinarian and as a missionary, and she began to treat the animals of the Karamajong. One of their main issues is, or main parts of their people group is they're, uh, uh, they're cattle, not ranchers, but they like you know, take care of cattle out on their land. So she started to take care of their animals. And, and through that relationship, she began to be able to share the gospel with them and the gospel of peace and how it allows us to even be at peace with our enemies. And amazingly, uh, many Karamajong people began to put their faith in Jesus that warlords and men who had killed and murdered hundreds of people put their faith in Jesus and repented from being a murderer. And through this, they began to hear about how Christ calls us to be peacemakers and how the gospel brings peace. And so eventually, uh, the main two warring tribes, the leaders agreed to have a, a peace meeting. And they said, we'll have it in the no man's land, which is the main area between these two tribes where they would have their battles and it was like from a movie, like literally there are, there are bones scattered out in this field where they had these battles at. I said, we'll have the meeting out there. And so Dr. Sheen expected that to maybe be maybe 400 people that might show up for this based on what she knew. About 2,500 people show up at this meeting. This peace meeting lasts three days. And instead of saying, hey, we're going to go home and work it out from there and have our next steps, the people said, you know what? Like, we want peace now. And so we're going to establish a peace village right here in the no man's lands, right here. And that's why I was there actually with the team I was with to provide uh, clean water in that area because it was no man's land. It's not where they wanted to live at. There's no clean water there, so we came in to help them with that. But to this day, there are now about 25,000 Karamajong people living in those peace villages. There's about 60 plus peace villages in that area today. It's an incredible story, and it's a, it's a great picture of the gospel of peace, what the gospel can do in our lives, and in our community. So we're going to talk about that today. And this idea of Advent, how does the Advent, the coming, the arrival of Jesus, bring us peace? Uh, we just heard that classic, classic text a minute ago from Isaiah 9, talking about how Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If you know much about the historical background of that text, you know that when Isaiah is writing, the people of Israel, the Jews, are under the threat of the Assyrian Empire, and they're longing for peace and freedom from that bloodshed. And in Isaiah 9, we saw how God promises that one's going to come out of the land of Galilee as a light shining in the darkness, as a child born to rule with such a peace that he's going to be called the Prince of Peace. But then you fast forward, you know that when Jesus, who is the fulfillment of that promise, when he's born in Bethlehem, they are still without peace. That the Jews are now under the oppression of the Roman Empire, and they're still longing for peace and freedom. And here in 2022, don't we still long for peace and freedom today? You can go on your social media feed and scroll for like two seconds, right, and see how we are, <laughs> that peace is not common on earth right now, right, that we are longing for peace. But the thing is, when the Bible talks about peace, it's a lot of times a much more fuller peace than we think of when we use that word. When we think of peace, we oftentimes think of the absence of the negative, like the absence of conflicts, maybe like uh, the end of a war, or the lack of an argument in a relationship, <laughs> maybe at home. But when the Bible talks about peace, that word in Hebrew, you probably know this, is the word shalom. And that word shalom is not just the absence of the negative, but the idea of shalom is also the presence of the positive. 
that that Hebrew word shalom is a deeply rich concept in the Bible. The word peace is used 300 plus times all throughout Scripture. But that word means much more than the absence of the negative. It means the presence of wholeness, the presence of completeness. It means prosperity. It means goodness. It's a picture, it's a word that describes the way that God has designed and created life to work and all the fullness that comes with that. So when you think about peace being defined that way, how much more do we need peace, right? That it's even clearer how much we need God to bring true shalom in us and also in the world, right? And so today, I want to think about three main ways that we don't have peace and how Christ brings that peace. First off, we don't have peace with God. Second off, we don't have peace with other people. And thirdly, we often don't have peace with ourselves. And so we're going to see this morning, if you're a math person, the X, Y, and the Z axis of peace. I used to be a math teacher, so I'm a nerd like that. The, the vertical peace with God, the Y, the horizontal peace with other people, and the Z, the, horizontal, or the, the internal peace within ourselves, along with the eternal peace that Christ is bringing. So let's first start with that, that vertical peace, that peace with God. Because we got to start here, because we have to know that if we don't have peace with God, we will never have real peace in our life anywhere else. That peace with God is foundational. It's because of that lack of peace with God that we look to all kinds of other stuff to try to bring us peace and stillness in our hearts. That we look to things like money and the security we think that can bring. We look to vacations and the time away we think that can bring peace. We look to maybe things like drinking or sex or romance or entertainment, shopping. We look to even the self-medication of social media sometimes as just a way to get some peace in our hearts and minds for a moment. And we may be able to find that temporary stillness for a bit, but that emptiness, it always has a way of finding its way back to us if we don't have peace with God. And that's because the Bible will tell us that our natural state is not one of peace with God. It's actually one of being enemies with God. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. I didn't just say that because KJ is my pastor. I just like that quote in general, okay? I'm actually going to quote two C.S. Lewis things today, and it's, I just like them. So, but the truth is this, is that in the beginning, when Adam and Eve bought that lie of the serpent, that they rebelled against God, they rejected his authority, and they broke that peace that they had with God in the Garden of Eden. And now, as children of Adam, we all are now, by nature, as Ephesians 2 would tell us, children of wrath, that we are rebelling against God in our sin. It may not feel that way, but anytime we seek to live our lives apart from God's authority, we're rebelling against him as the true king. And God's response to our sin and our rebellion is to actively pour out his wrath upon us. But Romans 1 would tell us that that pouring out of wrath right now is not like fire and brimstone coming down from heaven. But instead, God pouring out his wrath is that he's given us over to our sinful and our destructive desires. He's given us over. And the result of those desires is that we're full of guilt, that we're full of shame, that we're full of emptiness and a longing in our hearts that we can't quite seem to fill. We can't get the peace that we want. That's a result of those destructive and sinful desires. And we, we may try to numb it, but it won't go away. We may try to be a good and moral person. We may even try to be a, a religious person. But unless God breaks into our lives, we're never going to find peace. We will never find peace. But the good news that we celebrate really every Sunday, but especially in Advent, is that Christ has come to us to bring us peace. 
He's come to us so that we can have peace with God again. Consider Romans 5, in verse 1 and then verses 8 through 10. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Going down to verse 8, he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Saved by his life. So on the cross, Jesus took our punishment that we deserve as God's enemies. He took that on so we don't have to. He took it on for us. And instead, we can move from being children of wrath, receiving God's wrath, and instead move to being children of God, beloved by him, cared by him, receiving his full approval and his full love. But the question is, how do we receive that gift that Christ has bought for us? Well, like Romans 5.1 says, we receive it by being justified by faith. We're justified by faith. That to be saved from God's wrath, we have to put our faith in the finished work of Jesus for us. That we have to stop trusting in ourselves to try to be good enough for God. That we have to own and accept the fact that we are rebels against God. That we deserve his wrath. But instead, Christ has been good enough for us. That's called belief. And also, we have to stop trusting ourselves to try to control our own life and run our own life and relinquish that control to God. That's called repentance. So when we repent and believe, we can receive the justification, justification that God provides us in Christ. And, and that big word, justification, simply means that we're declared right in God's sight. We're declared right in his sight. That God the Father then views us as just as right with God as he views his own son. That in a sense, we take on Christ's resume to where we're now good enough because Christ has been good enough for us, that we are fully approved of by God, that there is no bad we can think we've ever done that God would not love us or love us less. There's no amount of good we could ever do that will make God love us more because we have received God's approval not in us and our own performance, but in what Christ has done for us. And the security and peace and the hope we have for heaven all because of what Christ has done. That's what it means to have peace with God. And when I first became a Christian, that was really the first thing that stood out to me was the peace that I felt come over me. That when I went to lay down that first night, knowing I really had peace with God after years of trying to be a good religious kid and finally accepting that Christ did it all for me, just surrendering my life to him, I remember having such a peace that I was finally right with God. So if you don't have that peace today, what better time of the year than to put your faith in Jesus and receive the peace with God? That's the first piece we see is that vertical, but because of that vertical piece, we can also move to having a horizontal peace with other people in relationships. That's the second one we'll talk about. Because of the brokenness of sin in the world, all of our relationships are now marred by sin, and there's brokenness in them, that we hurt each other, that we struggle with bitterness, we struggle with unforgiveness, that we can be selfish and critical, and every bit of our relationships, every kind of relationship can be stained by sin between friends, between spouses, between parents and children, co-workers, uh, political parties, and, and nations. There is strife that's brought in because of the brokenness of sin. But for the Christian, God has made peace with us at the massive cost of his son dying on the cross for our sins. So that through the Spirit, a Christian can now embrace the cost of making peace with other people. And there is a cost with that. 
That might mean that we have to embrace the cost of asking for forgiveness for someone when you wrong them, accepting what you did. It might mean entering into that awkward conversation to talk about how that person has hurt you, but you want to make things right and resolve that hurt. But it's as we bear the cost as Christians of making a relationship right that we get to imitate the way that Jesus' sacrifice bore the cost of making us right with God, that we can embrace peace that way. Does it mean that we always can reconcile that relationship? Because reconciliation requires both parties to be willing, but we can choose to forgive them and to be at peace with them in our hearts because of what Christ has done in our own lives. We can be at peace. Uh, But beyond even that personal relationships, Christ has established the church to be a picture of the peace of Christ working itself out in a community. Just consider Ephesians 2, in verses 13 through 16, Paul says that, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And that passage specifically is talking about Jesus in the gospel uniting Jews and Gentiles. If you know much about the conflict that was happening there, if the gospel can unite those two groups, who were oftentimes trying to kill each other to the point of murder, then the gospel can surely unite us in the church across lines of class and race and politics and preferences and all these things that often divide us. Because the church is to be known as a people at peace with each other because of the peace God has put into our lives in Christ. That we're to be a window into the life of wholeness and completeness that only God can bring, and that includes the health of our relationships. And that's why Paul goes on in Ephesians later on to tell the church to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That peace is a picture of the gospel as people see it working itself in the church. But when it comes to a Christian in the world, we can know that God never promised that a Christian is going to have peace with everybody in the world. Just consider what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36. He says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So we know as Christians that because of our faith, people will oftentimes be against us, maybe even our own family. We know we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are oftentimes being attacked and killed because of their faith in Jesus. But the peace that we have with God allows us to follow Jesus and even loving our enemies and blessing those that would curse us. Because Jesus is the one who came to bring the sword of division, not us. That when one of his disciples picks up a sword when Jesus is being arrested and cuts off the ear of a soldier, Jesus picks it up and just Mr. Potato Heads that thing back onto his head and pops it right back on and says, no, this is not how my kingdom's going to work. I always think about that when I think about that story. Sorry, I'll put that image in your mind now. Sorry about that. But the thing is that the gospel is going to be offensive. The gospel is going to be divisive, right? The gospel will be divisive, but followers of Jesus are called to be what? Peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. That the gospel we share, it's going to be offensive to people sometimes, to the lost world, because they don't understand us. They imagine that we think we're better than them. 
in some ways. But we can learn a lot from even the way the prophets describe the way we should live in a hostile culture. Prophets like Jeremiah, where he instructs the people of Israel how to live when they're in exile in Babylon. Consider Jeremiah 29.7. Jeremiah says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Guess what that word welfare is in the Hebrew? Shalom. That he says, seek the peace of the city. For in its peace, you will find your peace. And if you know much about Babylon, the Babylons were the ones that had destroyed the Jews' home. That they had killed many of their people and and took many of them into captivity. But God tells the Jews to work for the peace of Babylon to improve their society, to serve them, to work for their good, because as they do this, they would provide an incredible witness to the love of God that would seek peace even with his enemies, even with his enemies. So as we, the church, as we serve each other, as we serve our community, as we serve the poor, as we love even the people that are against us, even our enemies, it's a way that we can display the light of the gospel and make the gospel of peace look good and compelling to a watching world as we live out that peace. So the advent of Jesus, it's given us peace with God. It's given us the ability to be at peace with each each other. But also, the third one, it's made it possible for us to be at peace with ourselves. Consider what Jesus tells us in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So first off, we got to see that being at peace with ourselves is only possible if we're at peace with God first. Because Jesus tells us he gives us peace, but not as the world gives us. That the world at best can provide a temporary peace, oftentimes through distraction or just denial, but Jesus gives us peace regardless of our circumstances. And if we're honest, inner peace can be a really difficult thing to find sometimes. That there's always something we can be worrying about, right? Always something that could trouble our hearts, If it was a spiritual gift, I feel like I would have the spiritual gift of worry, (laughs) but it's not. It's a sin. And so I understand that struggle, the uh, the struggle here to be at peace in your heart. But the Bible tells us inner peace is possible and how to find it. Uh, Consider Isaiah 26.3. It says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That peace with ourselves is not going to come from within us kind of pulling up our own bootstraps to be at peace with whatever's going on. But instead it comes as we fix our minds on the truth of who God is. Let me give you a picture of this. If you've been to New York City, uh, you have probably been to Rockefeller Center, one of the most famous parts of town. It's got the big ice skating rink. Right now it's probably decked out with that giant Christmas tree. I've never been there during Christmas. It makes me sad to not have gone then. But it's a beautiful place, one of the most famous parts of the city. But on on the west side of Fifth Avenue is this giant statue of the Titan Atlas, and he's holding up this giant globe, and he's from Greek mythology. If you know much about Greek mythology, you know in his story, he's cursed by Zeus to carry the weight of the heavens for all eternity, and his statue in New York City is him holding up this giant globe, and he's like straining under the weight of this globe. But on the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's a beautiful cathedral. It's one of the most visited cathedrals in the U.S., but if you walk in there, Behind the altar is a little statue, and it's a statue of Jesus as a child, and in his left hand, he's holding a globe, a little globe, right? And I love that picture. 
because there's no straining involved with him there. It's just like he's like a little boy holding a little toy ball. You know, it's nothing to him. And I love that picture because we can choose to try to carry the weight of the world on our own, can't we? We can try to deal with all the worry and anxiety and grief all in our own heart and mind. But we're going to strain and we're going to groan and we will sink under that weight as we try to carry that weight that we were never meant to carry on our own. Or we can choose to give those things over to the God who holds the whole world, including us, in his hands with not a bit of strain. Not a bit of strain at all. We can trust and rest in his power and his goodness. So when we find ourselves not at peace, the answer is not to go further into ourselves and worrying more about it, but the answer is to hand those things over to the God who holds all things in his hands and to preach to ourselves the truth of who God is, his goodness and his power in our lives. Truths like found in Romans 8 that we're told that if God is for us, who can be against us, right? He who did not spare his own son but gave us up for him all, will he not also graciously give us all things? Or even earlier in that chapter, Romans 8, 28, that we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love them, who have been called according to his purpose. And those all things, that includes even our suffering. It includes even our heartbreak and our loss, that God is working all those things for the ultimate good. Things like Psalm 34, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus, that he has not abandoned us. Those truths, we need to hear those when we're struggling to have peace in our hearts and minds. Because the more we reflect on God's goodness, his power, his faithfulness, and his love, the more our hearts and minds can be filled with a peace that we can't explain, that can only come from God. That when the diagnosis is bad from the doctor, that when our family is a wreck, when our job is terrible, when there's no money in the bank, students, God forbid, if you fail that final you have next week, that no matter what, you can have peace with God as we put our whole lives into his hands. We trust in him and not ourselves. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace that comes from God in, in ourselves. But there's one last kind of peace that we want to talk about today, just briefly. Not just the vertical, horizontal, and internal peace, but also the eternal peace that is going to come when Christ returns again. Because in Advent, we reflect not only on the first coming of Christ, but also we reflect on his second coming as well. Consider Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, that it says this, that then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Sea represents chaos, by the way, that chaos is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the peace that Christ is bringing in his second coming, to establish in a new heaven and a new earth. It's a peace where it's not just the absence of the things that bring us pain, but it's the presence of the positive, the presence of the only one who brings about true wholeness and happiness, God himself, God with us forever. 
And your life right now may make it seem impossible that that kind of peace could ever really be happening in your life and ever happen on the earth. But if you're a Christian, that peace is guaranteed. It's coming, and it's a lot closer than you think. It's a lot closer than you think. On that day, like the Narnians in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, as we enter eternity, we can say this. We can say that I have come home at last, that this is my real country, that I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. That will be at true peace and true shalom with the Lord forever. That's what Christ is bringing. But as we close, I want to ask you, do you have peace? Do you have peace? There's only one way to have peace, and it's to start with having peace with God. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus and established peace with God, I'd love to talk with you about that today. I know Pastor KJ would love to do that, Pastor Jared. Uh, I'll be up here during the last song if you want to talk to me. But find someone today you know knows Jesus and talk to them about how to have peace with God. But if you have that peace with God, maybe there's a relationship in your life that you know isn't at peace. And what can you do today to be led by the gospel of peace, to seek peace with that person? What steps can you make? What phone call maybe do you need to make today? And lastly, if you're not peace in your own heart, what do you need to take out of your own hands and put in the hands of God today? What worries and anxieties do you need to cast upon the Lord because he cares for you? What ways do you need to remind yourself of God's goodness and his power in your life? And allow that peace to fill your heart and mind, the peace that can guard your heart in only the way that God can. So with that today, I want to pray for us, and the worship team's going to come up and lead us another song. But let's celebrate today because we can have peace through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have come as the light in our darkness to bring peace in our restlessness. As we celebrate this time of the year and, and sing songs that are oftentimes so familiar but so full of truth, I pray that we would reflect on the goodness and the beauty of Advent and all that it means for us and all that we can celebrate in Christ. I pray for anyone in here today that doesn't have peace with you, that you would work in their heart, draw them to yourself today to find peace with God by putting their faith in Jesus. That there's a relationship they need to be at peace with. You would lead them uh, to make that right and do what they need to, to on their part establish peace. And if they are struggling with peace in their own heart and mind, that today you would remind them of who you are, that they could put their full trust and weight of worry and anxiety on you because you're the only one that can carry it. And we love you. Thank you for this time. Pray you would guide us throughout the rest of our service to look to you as the only one who can bring peace and to worship you for it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.